0: Thanks, Katie. Well, we are indeed in the book of 1 Peter uh, in the New Testament, the latter part of the Bible this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, then do open that to chapter 4. But just whilst you're doing that, I want to flag up something else that we are doing as a church, which is on the 13th and 20th of June. Uh, They are two Wednesday evenings. It's a two-part seminar called Reading Galatians. And the heart behind this is that we want to provide contexts for all of us to grow in our understanding of the Bible and our reading of the Bible, of how to read with it, uh, read it, how to engage with it, hearing God speak to us through it, and so we've picked the book of Galatians, and I'd love to invite you to come along 13th and 20th. It's Wednesday week is part one. Week after is part two. It's a two-parter. It's not just one event repeated. Um, and if you fit into any of the following three camps, I'd love to uh, invite you along. Camp number one: you would like some help with. With knowing, well how do I read the Bible then? What, what am I meant to be doing and thinking as I open this book? Camp number two, um, I'd like some motivation to read the Bible. You know, I'd like something to aim at. I'd like some people to do it with. Or camp number three, I love all of this stuff anyway, and I just want to be there. So that's pretty much everybody. You're all really welcome reading Galatians. That's the 13th and 20th. You don't have to be an expert. You don't even have to have read the letter that will help you if if you have done. But do come along to that. It's a Wednesday evening, 8 o'clock. But we're in 1 Peter today. And um, we're in the midst of Peter encouraging um, the the Christians that he's writing to, to to press on following Jesus even when things are difficult. And we we saw last week, um, as we looked at it, that Peter uh, uses the example of Jesus Christ and uses um, his suffering, and in his suffering, his defeat, as Pete was praying out um, uh, earlier, his defeat of the powers behind everything that is difficult and tough and challenging um, in the world, everything that's wrong about the world, the enemy that's behind that, Jesus has defeated him. And uh, Peter now moves into in the passage that we're looking at today to talk about how we live in light of that victory. And he returns to his exhortation to live like Jesus and for Jesus, even if it brings hardship on the way. So let's dig into it. 1 Peter 4, uh, we're reading verses 1 to 6. Since, therefore... Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. I want to begin this morning by asking you the question, what are the big calls that you have made in your life? What are the big decisions? What comes to mind when I say that expression? For me, there are fewer big decisions than the day that I asked my wife on our very first date. We had met at a conference. I thought she was really nice and wanted to chat to her loads. She thought I was just one of those over-friendly Christian guys that isn't particularly self-aware of the, the impression that he's giving off. But um, we did manage to get chatting and, and, uh, and then uh, add her on Facebook and our messages get long, longer and longer until the time came when the phone call must come. And so uh, when the phone call came, I used what I am hoping slash expecting lots of married men in the room uh, will identify with, something called the list. Now, the list, just for the ladies in the room, is, uh, is predicated on the fact that if when you are having the phone call, there are numerous awkward silences whilst you can't think what to say, that is bad. That is likely to lessen the chances of a yes when you say, I'd love to take you out for a drink. And so the list is a list of conversation topics, just in case. List of go-tos, you know, any blokes in the room, I won't ask you to put your hand up, but identify with that, I wonder. And the way that I know that it went well, I didn't have to refer to the list once. And she said yes, and the rest, as they say, is history. Big calls. Well, Peter begins this passage with the ultimate big call. That is the obedience of Jesus Christ. In verse 1, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. If you've got your Bible open, it's, it's actually a reference to the beginning of, of the previous paragraph where it says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Which is what we've been celebrating in our worship time this morning. That Jesus, the one who knew no sin, who had no stain on his character, who never disobeyed his father once, chose to swap places with us and take on himself our mess and our mistakes and the times when we've disobeyed God, the times when we've done things that we know we shouldn't have done, but there's just something in us that kind of makes makes us do them. He took them on himself. And if this is the first time that you've heard this news this morning, this is life-changing news for you. This means that if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are forever eternally forgiven. You have a new life, a new hope. You become, as you believe in him, a new creation. Now this week I was uh, watching one of the Britain's Got Talent semifinals and um, there was a gospel choir performing on there and uh, it went pretty well and, and as the audience were going wild, the, the judges then began to give their feedback. And one of them, Amanda Holden, Pointing at this gospel choir and said, you know, hearing this, this is what makes me want to go to church. You know, we're not all sinners, we're just human. And whilst that's not the message of the Bible, what she's put her finger on there is that actually if we are to have the label sinner over our lives, we have to face the consequences for those sins. And that's why she doesn't like it. And yet, the truth of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has taken those consequences on himself so that we are changed forever. We are free to live for him. We can enjoy living his adventure. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves, it says in verse 1. Arm yourselves. This is battle language. This is a, a, a wartime mentality. It's not a new concept in the New Testament. It's been referred to several times already in the book of 1 Peter. In fact, Jesus himself spoke of binding the strong man by whom he meant Satan and plundering his house. He spoke of the invasion of his kingdom and forceful men taking hold of it. Paul, who wrote lots of the New Testament, himself spoke of the Christian life as being the good fight, He spoke of weapons of warfare, of destroying strongholds and putting on the armor of God. Folks, we're in a battle. We are in a battle. It is a battle for spiritual authority in the earth. There is one whom the Bible calls Satan, the devil, the tempter, the one who comes to steal and kill and destroy, who is trying to thwart the purposes of God. And though he knows that his end is He's trying to cause as much chaos as possible so that as many people as possible might be obscured from knowing God. And yet we have the victory of the gospel. We know that we can proclaim to people that it is possible because of the finished work of Jesus for people to know God and to find freedom and to discover purpose and to make a difference. This is a call to arms, Why do you think so many cities around our nation, ours included, struggle with problems of knife crime and gun crime? It's because those engaged in those things think that they're in a war. And so they feel the need to arm themselves. How much more us? knowing that we are in a battle to make the name of Jesus made known all across the earth when the victory is assured. Let's just get one thing straight, though. Our battle is not against people. This isn't some kind of crusade. If you're new here, this is not what we're talking about. It's not some radicalised principle. The Bible says that we don't fight against flesh and blood, i.e., people but we fight against powers and principalities, against Satan and his demons. And actually, all that we want to do against them and for the kingdom of God is war. It is warfare for us to become a disciple-making community. It is warfare for us to preach the gospel in our city, to tell people that there is hope and joy to be found in Jesus. It is warfare to plant into Manchester and other cities in the nation and even beyond. And this should change the way that we live. This should change the way that we pray. You know, you get up in the morning and you think, I'm going to have my coffee with Jesus and pray through my list. It, it, it is that, but it's more than that. You're doing spiritual warfare. It should change the way that you rest, the way that you give, the way that you study the Bible. It should change our dependence. It should change the way that we live our lives. One of the things I find really interesting is hearing the stories of what happened here on these shores during World War II, whilst the battle was being fought out on the Western Front and the way in which people contributed, whoever they were, whatever their circumstances, to what they called the wartime effort. And the idea was that if everyone plays their part, the output of the nation is so much greater. So people grew vegetables for the war. People went to visit and support one another for the war. They lived with a wartime mentality. You know, I find it really interesting to think what the difference would have been if during war they'd lived with a peacetime mentality? How much less we'd have been able to accomplish? Folks, we can't live with a peacetime mentality. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. We are called to live for peace in the earth. And in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, that is what we are doing. We have peace with God, and so we have peace with one another. But we're in a war. We're in a war where the world is not okay. There are people bound up in following all sorts of things that are not Jesus, missing out on the joy of knowing him. There are people living their lives in darkness When they can, but with one step of trusting in the finished work of Jesus. They don't have to do it themselves. They don't have to muster something up or become someone new. They just have to look on Jesus. And yet they don't even know of him. And their lives are wrecked as a result. We've got to get used to this. We have the gospel God has entrusted us with his beautiful message to make his name known all across the earth and commissioned us to go with his gospel. Do you know one of the biggest dangers to the church in the UK is the gospel of comfort? You know, numerous heads being nodded across the room. The the, the idea that the point of the gospel is to make our lives comfortable, and therefore the point of life is the same. Yeah, that is a danger to us. That is how our whole society is constructed. You just live in as comfortable a place as you can. And yet, if we live in comfort, we don't live with a wartime mentality. It's C.S. Lewis, who wrote um, the, the Narnia books that, that most w- will have heard of. He also wrote another letter, uh, another book, uh, called The Screwtape Letters. And the idea behind this is that it was meant to be letters from the devil to his demons telling them how to limit Christians in their work for the kingdom. And the premise of that book was one of the the key tactics that the enemy uses is contented worldliness. If we just settle down, if we just say, I'll just make my life as comfortable as possible, I'll just build my walls of comfort around me. I'll just get through. This is war. We've got a savior who suffered. We are called to an ex- extend an invading kingdom by proclaiming a victory. So how do we do this then? And here is where I'm sure lots of people in the room can think of really weird ways where Christians have lived out this principle of spiritual warfare. But Peter is talking about a mindset shift. He's talking about a way of thinking that leads to action. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, verse one, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. He's talking about the unyielding, battle-filled resolve of Jesus Christ. Trusting in the Father to vindicate him, willing to count the cost and aware of the impending victory. And in this great exchange that happens in the gospel of our life for the life of Jesus, the commission on him now becomes the commission on us. Trusting in the Father, willing to count the cost, aware of the impending victory. He goes on to say, verse one, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What does that mean? Well, if we're to let the Bible interpret the Bible, then we get verses like the one that Andrew read out earlier in in 1 John chapter one that says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So whatever this verse is meaning, it cannot mean that if you go through some experience of suffering, then suddenly you have no problems with sin anymore, no temptation. So we have to look at the individual words. Whoever suffers in the flesh. Peter has got a very wide definition of suffering. And I would encourage you as an exercise to go through the book of 1 Peter and pick out every time it talks about suffering, what it is and why it happens. I do believe that you'll be built up as you do that. But what, what you'll find is a very wide definition that could be summarized of anything where you have to count the cost. Anytime you give something up for Jesus. And Peter says when you do that, This person has ceased from sin. Now, the the language there in terms of what's going on is talking about a one-off event, the consequences of which continue into the future. So he's saying when you choose Jesus, in spite of the hardship, in spite of the pain, that amounts to a refusal of sin, the good of which you get to live in. It's, it's almost as though you're saying, I would rather follow Jesus as tough as it may be than shun him and his kingdom. Now, I mentioned Britain's Got Talent earlier. It's one of my favorite shows. And uh, in there, for those of you that uh, haven't seen it, there's some auditions that, that go on initially. And the point of it is whether you get put through uh, to the consideration for the life final <laughs> And um, each time those acts happen... Each of the four judges and the presenters have the option to press what they call the golden buzzer. They can do this once and it instantly puts an act through to the live semi finals So they don't have to be part of the consideration process. And sometimes they pick acts which are incredible. And frankly, they, sometimes they pick acts which are terrible. They've just got a good story behind them. But the point is this. When that golden, when the act finishes and the crowd are going wild and the fireworks go off and the glitz and the glamour and they run up and they smash that golden buzzer and everyone goes crazy, that is a one-off event. That golden buzzer has now been pressed. They do not continue to stand there bashing the buzzer. It has finished. And yet the consequences of that continue throughout the whole rest of the series. Did I use my golden buzzer right? Did I hit too soon? Did I go too soon? Will my act get through? Will the public think they're any good? You see, in this battle that we are in, there are some big calls to make. There are some big golden buzzers to press. And what Peter says here is that when you choose to follow Jesus, when you choose to face the hardship, when you count the cost, you deal a debilitating blow to sin. When you deliberately choose to be accountable for sexual temptation, you deal a debilitating blow to that temptation. When you choose to fast, you deal a blow to the temptation to self-reliance. When you choose to put your family first, spend time with them, even if your calendar doesn't allow to make it to your child's performance or whatever it may be, you deal a debilitating blow to the temptation for your career or your ministry to become an idol. You know, some years ago as a church, we were um, on the verge of um, taking up a, a big offering And uh, my wife Emma and I, um, at the time, were were actually just about to buy our first house. And so it was going to be a big step up for us in in financial responsibility. And so when it came to this offering, we had to ask the question, God, what, what are we meant to give? How do you want us to play this one? And we felt as we prayed that God called us to go big on this offering. And we even used the terminology as we felt God speak to us about it, of, of dealing a blow to materialism. Now I wouldn't say at that time our lives were racked with materialism, but it was certainly a temptation. And it was certainly a temptation to live in the gospel of comfort and just trying to accumulate as much as we can and make ourselves as safe and comfortable as possible. And yet what I found as we pressed in in that offering is that I began to see money differently and its use and its purpose differently. And I'm not saying that those kind of material and, uh, materialism and, and gospel of comfort temptations aren't, aren't live at all anymore. They are, and we have to fight them. But I felt I made progress in that because we took that big call. When we make these big calls, when we count, cost. When we choose Jesus in spite of the pain, we choose to live, as verse 2 puts it, no longer for human passions. And verse 3 expands on it, and here's the one that you were all wondering when it was going to be read out. Uh, This is what it defines human passions as. Living in sensuality, Passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. I need an appropriate joke here. And so the one that I found is that you really hope that in churches up and down the country where children are given readings to do on a Sunday, you really hope that the person has read the text first, right? Yeah, wouldn't that just be a disaster? He's talking about sex, drink, drugs, self-gratification, They may be your struggles, but your struggles may be other. You can insert them into this passage. But the point is that when you make a big call for Jesus, you choose to say no to those things. And you choose instead to live for the will of God. You choose to live for something greater. You choose to live for the purpose for which you were created, to live for and worship and follow your King. So I want to ask the question this morning, what big calls are you making in this battle? What decisive, radical, territory-taking decision is God asking you to take? Where are you counting the cost? Are you struggling with sin? If so, what is the decisive step of God-honoring action that you need to take regardless of consequences. Because this is wartime mentality. This is big faith. These are the decisions where God has to come through. This is the giving up of our own comfort for the sake of his invading kingdom. Now I accept that what this means for you will differ according to circumstances, person to person. Because for some of you, the step of faith, the battle, is just getting here. I understand that. We're in this together. And yet, I do believe as a church that we are on the verge of something much greater. And I find myself in my times with the Lord just having him speak to me and encourage me to think bigger things for Grace Church. You know, as we talk about Together Sunday and um, planting churches into different cities, and as we talk about our influence in this city increasing, all for the sake of his name, and serving our city that they might know the one who has called us to want to serve, I do believe God's about a big work here. And the option is open to all of us that we can go from this place And you get your coffee. We're off to family for lunch, and you probably go to the park and just carry on normal life. We can go back to normality. Or we can take the daring step to pray and to say, God, change me. Arm me with the resolve of Christ. Help me to think more urgently for your kingdom. Because I don't want to live for human passions, but I want to live for your will. It's important that we know that there will be kickback. You know, if this is a battle, you don't take territory without kickback. And Peter's referred to it in verse 4. He talks about those around us being surprised when we do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. When we don't live the same way as the world around us. It says they malign you. It means they sort of heap abuse on you. And it can be harder when that happens, can't it? You know, you choose to live differently. You choose to make big calls for Jesus. And those around you, it's not always the, you're so different. Let me ask loads of questions about Jesus. Sometimes it's just, well, you're weird. I don't want to talk to you. It's hard. We've all been there, I'm sure. And yet, here, Peter gives one of the main incentives for engaging in this battle, which is that Jesus Christ has assured the victory for you. He's just spent the passage before that we looked at last week talking about how Jesus has defeated the one behind everything that is wrong in the world the one behind every trial and hardship and challenge. Jesus has defeated him and his demons and then gone to them and declared his victory over them. He's spoken in verse one here about how he has won your salvation and you are different now and he has called you to be part of his purposes in making his name known all across the earth. And in the verse just after this passage, verse seven that we'll look at in a couple of weeks, He talks about the fact that he's coming back again. That one day he'll return and he'll take with him the living and the dead who trusted in him to live with him forever. You see, this victory of Jesus gives you the power to make big calls for him. We could not do these things of our own volition. You can't muster this up It can't just try harder. It's the victory of Christ that gives us the power to make radical decisions. And it gives us hope. It gives us hope that one day our pain will end. Our suffering will end. The hardships that we face will one day come to an end as he wraps all things up. And Peter comments in verse 5 that actually on that day, everyone will have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. And in that day, you will look back over your life and you will see every decision that you made for Jesus, regardless of the consequence, regardless of the hardship, and you will know that it was totally worth it. There will be an eternal reward of experiencing Christ in a greater and greater way that will await you as a result of the decisions that you make to follow Him in this life. Peter recognizes that there are those around in the world, maybe even friends, family, who will say that to live this way, making big calls for Jesus, is limiting or a waste of life. say, no, you should live for yourself. Come on, look after number one. What about you? Funnily enough, is what verse two says the very opposite of. So as to live for the rest of the time, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And yet, Peter puts the final verse in our passage here, verse six in, to illustrate what a stupid idea that is, of those who say this is all a waste of time. He talks about those who have died, but who have received the gospel. And his thinking is the, the challenges that they faced during their life, the accusations, maybe even at their funeral, as people look on them and say, oh, he just lived for his kind of religion, and now he's dead. I mean, what a waste. Peter says, no, 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 no. Now, that person who trusted in Christ is alive with him forevermore, enjoying the beauty and the glory of being with Jesus. An eternal reward with them. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, he's made it all possible. And he's made it possible for you to know that you are in a battle, that there are some big calls to make, but that his victory is assured. Let's stand together. Let's have the band up.